Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Last week, Jim Clementi profiled Catalina's killer as likely a woman, possibly with a male accomplice. Someone who lived close to Catalina was somewhere close by to hide. He said that this was a personal cause targeted homicide. The killer would be someone who had direct conflict with Catalina. This was not a robbery gone wrong. He believes that the theft of the wallet and the keys were not a theft at all but rather staging. The killer knew that they would be a suspect, so they took the keys and the wallet in an attempt to make this targeted murder look like a random act of violence, as though it actually was a robbery gone wrong. And this particular offender managed to fool lead detective Waymond Allen. Today, you're going to hear the second half of my consultation session with Jim Clementi. He delivered his profile without knowing anything at all about any of the suspects. But once he delivered his profile, I picked his brain about what we know about all the players involved. This is Season 10, Episode 15, Jim Clementi, The Suspects. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. I'm going to back up just a couple minutes and pick up the discussion just as Jim is delivering the profile. And then he and I move on to talk about our suspects. I think this happened very quickly. I think this happened as a result of a some kind of personal conflict between the victim, and the offender, and there were very few 
indicators here of age. I would say that this person could be anywhere between their 20s and, you know, 20s and 30s. I think they, they, the gender is unknown, although I think, I mean, just my, my first impression is that a male would not likely pick up a flowered plant potter and use it as a way to incapacitate a 70 year old, 71 year old woman. A male would likely use his own physical strength and manually control the victim versus a female who might pick up a potted plant and smash it over somebody's head to incapacitate them. Do you think there's any any indicators here that there might be more than one offender? Well, that's what I was saying earlier. The fact that there are multiple weapons used is an indicator of multiple offenders. I certainly thought when there were two different knives, that was a very high probability. But if it's just one knife and the planter and the vase, it could be one person. But certainly, when you have more than one weapon utilized in a murder, there is, you know, a higher probability that you're dealing with multiple offenders. But clearly, when I say multiple offenders here, I'm talking about people who are acting very impulsively, probably very emotionally, and not some organized gang effort or some planned out organized crime. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. I have to say that this, I think the offender or offenders seized an opportunity very quickly. This was all planned, executed, and escaped from in a matter of a couple of minutes. This was not something that had been planned over time or, you know, was really well thought out at all. Do you see any indicators that this was a robbery gone wrong, or would you consider this a personal cause homicide? No, definitely go for personal cause homicide because the indicators of the burglary are very shallow. And the fact that there's, you know, there's all sorts of different trinkets and and all that kind of stuff tells me nobody, nobody spent time searching this place. The timing of it being at 9 a.m. and the, the proximity to all the other units, it just tells me that this is not the time you would be doing a, you know, break in to actually search for, you know, valuables. It just doesn't seem like that to me. There's just no indication that anywhere else in the apartment was searched. Yeah, it doesn't. And I don't know if you noticed, but it, I didn't notice till just recently, but Catalina, the victim, is actually wearing a gold necklace that's still on her neck. That, mm. you know, they didn't, they didn't even grab yeah. that. I was wondering what that was, but now you've answered that. Yeah, you know, obviously she didn't have a wedding ring, but if the person or persons who did this didn't know her, then how would they know that she didn't have a stash of money under her mattress, you know, a lockbox in her closet or in her dresser, all these kinds of things? You would look for that, and you would spend the time to do it because you've taken such a high risk to commit this crime you want the reward. And if the reward 
was actually to get money or valuables, then they would have spent time doing that. But if the reward was just to kill her, that is what they spent their time to do. And then they left. Do you think the fact that the the keys that included her car keys could play into a robbery at all? Or you think that's just part of the staging of it? Well, if you told me that that her car was missing and it was a valuable car, then I'd say that's a possibility. But I didn't hear that in this grind. No, she had a Honda Accord that was parked right outside the apartment that was still there. Right. Well, then there's your answer. Do you have more with with your profile, or, or can I get into asking you some uh, some questions about some suspects? That's all I have, so tell me what other circumstances there are here. Okay, it, it, your profile is very interesting, like almost chilling, knowing what we know now that now that you've given it, I'll share some of this with you. So I came to the same conclusion as you that she's very low risk, low risk victim, like you said in the in the safest place she could be in. The only risk factor that I was able to identify was that she had been complaining to the apartment management about her neighbor upstairs, about too much traffic in and out. And she had made multiple complaints. And you know, I always say as an arson investigator, I'm always looking for what's the, what's the catalyst, what changed. And in this case, the most recent complaint was the day before, and the apartment manager said that she warned the upstairs neighbor that if the traffic didn't stop, she was going to, it was a female that she was going to be evicted. And what kind of traffic is this? Well, it's the, the woman that lived above her was a 24 year old woman who worked as a dancer at a strip club. And based on what other private investigators working for defense attorneys have, have come up with and a previous criminal record and the fact that there was a, that morning, there was a guy that was walking and talked to someone and said he was looking for the girl up in apartment 58 to get some sex. I believe that she was very likely a prostitute. And so I think that may have been the reason for some of the traffic that was coming in and out of her apartment. But when you said that, you know, it's somebody that has, has a beef with her, someone who could hide close by possibly a female involved in maybe multiple offenders. That was just, just for me, alarm bells were, were going off with that. Yeah, well, if she was a sex worker, you know, generally uh, I know that sex workers can carry knives to protect themselves. And, you know, although a knife is, as we've discussed before in many cases, it's a messy way to kill. It's not... I mean, you have, it's wet work, you know, I'm sorry to be so graphic about it, but it is, you know, somebody who is not afraid to get down and dirty. And so I would expect that from this person, whoever she is. And I would expect that, you know, she's not criminally sophisticated in terms of committing murder, but she is sophisticated criminally. You know, in other words, this was not very well planned out. But I would think that if she is the, the actual offender, that she and or someone else who she enlisted did this out of rage and anger, and you would see in her life other indicators of rage and anger. You know, she will have a history of blowing up at people, overreacting to things, and that that is 
sort of her general MO. And so whether her inhibitions were reduced by drug or alcohol use or by stress or lack of sleep, something got her over the hump of saying, I'm going to go kill her. And I think the scenario you paint is a very, very likely scenario of why this homicide happened. And frankly, I cannot think of a different type of scenario that would have resulted in the death of this 71-year-old woman who, again, you know, lived a very sheltered life. And the chances of her being exposed to other high-risk behaviors are just very, very low. What do you think of of this scenario? It's one that some of my listeners have have suggested. One thing we know, we know that someone, paid, you know, this is 96, so pagers, right? Someone paged the woman who lived upstairs at 745 that morning, 744 actually to be exact, who she described as it was just some guy from work. And she she was very evasive about who it was at trial. She just says he just He's just a guy from work. His name's Tommy, and he texts me, or he, he pages me because he likes to bother me. So a couple of suggestions that have been thrown out were, what if there was a a John that was coming that morning that maybe she wanted to to run off because she was in trouble, or she told him, you know, this lady down here has been complaining, so we need to rough her up or something, or I always struggle to, to find the right words, but a, a pimp or a, I don't know what the basically her boss and her and her sex work who might have been upset about that if there is if she had such a thing which would involve then you know probably kind of what you were describing here where there's some injuries that look like it could be from a male offender and some that look like maybe from a female offender do either of those scenarios make much sense to you yeah like i said there are there are a couple of different ways that she could have enlisted to help somebody else or somebody else might be offended by this, if there is, you know, drug or sex work going on out of that apartment, then, you know, anybody else who might be associated with those two business endeavors, criminal business endeavors, might have readily agreed to help her out or initiate this kind of attack. But that's a very volatile situation when somebody lives above you and you complain and they might get evicted, that could definitely trigger this kind of violent response if you are predisposed to that kind of reaction. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Now, behaviorally speaking, that neighbor, so this when this this crime occurs, so that the the neighbor says that she was upstairs sleeping, hears some screaming coming from downstairs, comes down the stairs and hollers inside and says, "Is everything okay?" And she says that a man faking a woman's voice calls back and says, I'm fine. I just fell and hit my head. She realizes it's not her real voice. She then runs to the apartment manager frantically. And everybody that saw her on the scene that day said she was very obviously very upset. Goes to the apartment manager's office. Based on the first police report, we had a little leak there because the manager says she came running in and said the woman below my apartment is dead. We need to call the police and an ambulance. She says that she just said she needs help. But then so she she runs and recruits. And based on when the there was an off-duty nurse that was walking by that came in and, and did CPR, it seems like like this murder had just happened, like within minutes of this. Well, I mean, if she said she heard the woman screaming, then it had to have just happened. And... If she went to the manager's office, isn't this the same manager that just called her and said, this is the neighbor that's, that's complaining and you're going to get evicted if you don't stop what you're doing? Yes. And that's why that information came out, because when the police talked to the manager, she said she told them, you should know that I just told her yesterday that she's going to get evicted because Catalina had been complaining about her. You know, uh, that sounds very convenient. Very convenient that she would be the one to not discover the body, but still know there's a body there. Right. Right. And then immediately get help, which, which makes me, I'm curious in your thoughts on, you know, where that behaviorally emotionally comes from. If she's the one that's involved in the murder, that then she runs and immediately runs and screams for somebody to get an ambulance. Well, remember when I said she able to, hide very quickly right she's hiding in plain sight there isn't she yeah so the patio right if she went around you know from the downstairs to the patio to look inside i don't see how she could know that the victim was dead and also if there's something i pointed out the other day because she said that she knew the door was wide open, and based on the way the layout, she would have had to get kind of in front of the patio to see that. Yeah, she couldn't see to know she was dead. And But what she would have seen, if there was somebody inside impersonating the voice, is she would have seen the killer inside. Yeah, she would have. And she would have seen, essentially, that person exiting. But she would have had to go all the way down to the lower part of the patio outside, behind these bushes, and and look through the open door and see the victim laying on the floor there. But that's not what she said, right? Right, yeah. It, well, and, and I guess to, to defend that a little bit is just the fact that she claims that she didn't say she's dead, that the apartment manager just, just inserted that, that what she said was she needed help. But in the initial statement that morning, the apartment manager said she said that she was dead. I mean, what's his credibility level versus hers? Yeah, well, I would say it's a she, but I would say she didn't have, uh, she wouldn't have a reason to lie. And if Eva was involved, her name's Eva, uh, she would. Right. Yeah. 
So are you thinking in, in this scenario we're talking about that she, Eva, would have been involved, her running to get – so the, I guess I'll just show you, just tell you kind of my my kind of working theory is that possibly there is like a pimp-type figure involved in this who decides to – maybe or maybe him and Eva together decide they're going to go rough this woman up, but Eva wasn't expecting her to be killed or something, and that – her frantically running to get help and then coming back and being as frantic as she was afterwards could have been because she was involved, but she didn't, she didn't actually want to kill her. And once it was over, she wanted to, she, she genuinely wanted to get help. Uh, but then there's also the other aspect of, like you said, just hiding in plain sight. Right. I, I'm sorry, Bob, but I don't see any indication of what you first said. Again, you know, if this was a guy who went in there, and committed this murder. I don't think he would have picked up a fucking flower pot from outside and used that to incapacitate the victim. I believe that this was was done by somebody who needed that to incapacitate a 71-year-old victim. I don't know the size of this female that lives upstairs, but I'm assuming that, you know, she's big enough to be able to pick up that pot but not big enough to pick up and body slam the victim, you know? Right. So I, I think that it was a, I think the emotionality that you see as panic or the vic- or the witnesses saw as panic, to me, is the emotionality. It's the, you know, that adrenaline that pumps, you know, in fight or flight. You know, this person, if she committed this murder had a lot of adrenaline pumping in her body, and this is the way you express it, you know? I mean, it comes out in hysteria. It comes out in, you know, I'm so concerned, I'm so concerned, you know, probably talking fast and running around and doing things. She didn't call 911. I don't know why. She didn't have a phone. Okay. She didn't have a phone upstairs? Right. She didn't have a phone in her apartment. At all? No. Okay. All right. Well, then that does make sense that she ran to get the the manager, but... To go to that same manager, the person who had just confronted her about this person, she felt, this is again part of staging, she felt like she had to throw off the investigation. If she didn't interact with the manager, the the first person the police would come to talk to was her. Now she's tried to parry that away from her by creating this, oh, I'm trying to help situation not you know she doesn't come and say you know that jerk who was complaining about me i think something happened to her she said oh i'm so concerned about this woman downstairs this woman that apparently she's repeatedly ignored you know complaints about what's going on upstairs this is not a you know fairy tale relationship between these two this is a contentious relationship and she completely avoids that with the person who was the, quote, intermediary between them. And that's very suspicious to me. Okay, that, it's interesting in the way you, you said that she's trying to defer an investigation before there even is one. Another thing that she did, now again, it, it, we're working in the scenario that maybe if she's involved, but so she gets it's a couple things. There's one, that, one thing that I see is, is kind of overselling from what I've learned from you. There were witness on scene that says she was just sitting on the stairs. She's actually in the crime scene video. She's the one sitting at the top of the stairs. 
But they said she just kept saying, why would anyone want to hurt that old lady? Why would anyone want to hurt that old lady? Loud enough that the crowd around could hear. And then as soon as she's talked to by police on the scene who are just talking to her as a witness, within that conversation immediately, she points to a 15-year-old girl who happened to be staying in her apartment that night and says, she told me to lie and say that she was here when I heard the screaming, but she wasn't really here. And pointed the police at that point. She was just a witness, and she pointed the direction at the other at the other girl. Hmm. Bizarre. Yeah. Well, there's there's a little more to this too, and I I want to get into that girl too because um, that girl is the one who was ultimately convicted of the crime. So I want to get into that, but but because things get complicated, because what we have here is everybody's lying, which makes things, including the the girl that got convicted. So the girl gives her statement, the 15-year-old, her name's Jennifer. She gives her statement to police and tells them a version of the story where she's standing there with Eva and she heard the man's voice call out and Eva ran to the apartment. There are also two boys that were staying up in the apartment with them. So there's four people in this apartment that night. Two teenage, an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old boy, 18-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy, and Jennifer is also 15. They also tell police they were there when Eva was screaming in and the man's voice came back. But none of the th- none of the four of them can get that part of the story right. So like the boys that were staying there, they have this beginning, they're, they're interviewed in separate rooms. Both of them describe, you know, uh, Jennifer got a page, she left, she talked to me for a minute, and then we heard the door open and... Boy one got up, you know, the boy two says boy one got up and stepped over me and went out. And then boy two says, you know, I got up and stepped over him and walked out. Everything is like making sense and and coming together. And then they get to the part where the screaming's happening and nobody can get it straight when it happened, how it happened. So it seems to me that that screaming, that was kind of my, one of my first indicators in this case, that this seemed to me that that the whole screaming thing was a red heron because I don't think it ever even happened. If it didn't happen. That would mean what Jennifer later told police is that, and what she says now is that right after she got back there, which is kind of, she came back to the apartment right when all this chaos was happening, when the managers got back, that when she got back, Jennifer grabbed, or the Eva grabbed her. She doesn't say anything about the two boys, but they were in the room. And Eva told her to tell police that she was there when the screaming was happening. So, if we're, we're in the scenario where Eva is the guilty party here, that would mean she went up and told Jennifer, tell them you were here when I was screaming, and then talks to the police and immediately tells them she told me to lie and say she was here, but she wasn't. But here's the problem with that, Bob. That means that this woman upstairs who lives there had that information when she ran to manager and said that my downstairs neighbor is dead. You know, in other words, she says to the manager, oh, I heard this screaming and I went downstairs. Well, she didn't say that to the manager. She didn't say that. She said that to the police hours later. Okay. All right. But so, but she went to the manager and said, my downstairs neighbor needs help. Right. Right. But she already knows that. Eva told her when to do this, before or after she runs out to the, to the manager. 
so Eva runs to the manager, gets the manager. They come back. The apartment maintenance guy jumps the fence, goes in, moves the pot, opens the door, lets them in. At that point, Eva lets the managers in because they were waiting at the front door. The, the maintenance man jumped the fence to get inside to unlock the door. At that point, once that kind of that initial chaos settles and paramedics are there and police are arriving on scene, Eva with Jennifer and the two boys go back into Eva's apartment. And she says it's at that point Eva told her to lie and say that she she tells her that if you don't, we're going to be in danger. This is Jennifer's version of it. So who knows if it's true? But she says she told me to lie that we'd be in danger and say that I was there and I saw. Eva screaming into the apartment and that I heard the man's voice come back. And the the reason that I tend to believe Jennifer when she says that happened is because the other two boys did the same thing. But again, they none of them have it right. There's no possible way all three of the, you know, all four stories are the same because they're all different. So that happened after the police were on scene. They go back into the apartment. We know they went in the apartment, had a conversation. But they come out, and then they give the statements to police about the screaming. Okay. But uh, here's the problem with this. Okay. Eva is saying that Jennifer told her to lie and say that Jennifer witnessed Eva going downstairs and hearing this guy. Right. But Eva is saying that Jennifer said, that Jennifer wants to corroborate Eva's story. Right. That's not Jennifer saying to Eva, you have to cover for me. Tell them I was here in the apartment before you left. You see what I'm saying? Eva is saying that Jennifer wanted her to lie to corroborate Eva's story. Not to protect Jennifer. Why would Jennifer get Eva to lie to protect Eva, not to protect Jennifer? Do you see what I'm saying? Right. It's just the logic of why she would do that. That's so fucked up. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, the implication was what the police took from it was that, oh, Jennifer was inside killing Catalina. And so she told Eva to say that she was outside with her in order to alibi herself. That's how the police took that when Je- when Eva said that Jennifer told me to lie and say she was out here with me. And they didn't at all think that the victim is already dead and that Eva is trying to cover her own ass? No. The, the biggest problem in this case is that the police took Eva's statement as the gold standard and decided her statement, and there was three different versions actually on the on the first day, but they they took her written statement as the as the truth, and compared everything Jennifer said to Eva's. And when and when Jennifer finally told them, okay, that didn't really happen, 
she told me to say that. They said, no, that can't, that's not possible. We know what happened because of what Eva said, so you're lying. And they never suspected Eva. So Jennifer gets, ends up getting convicted because she confessed to the crime. So she gets, she gets taken down for questioning, gives a written statement to an uninvolved officer. Just a cop in the station takes her in a room, give me a written statement. First day. And she, and she relays exactly what she told the cops on the scene, which she says is what Eva told her to say. Then the next day, the lead detective brings her in for questioning, confronts her with the fact that he knows she's lying because of what Eva said. The long story short of it, because what I want to get into is the elements of her confession and how they fit what you see in the actual crime scene. But they, they interrogate her for seven hours without a parent, without a lawyer. And she gives through that process. There's two different times. She says, okay, fine. I'll tell you the truth. The detective testifies that he keeps telling her that I know this is, you know, I know this isn't the truth because what you're telling me is ridiculous because you need to tell me the truth. So this is, this is her, her confession. Uh, And you tell me what you think about this scenario that two nights before this two guys, probably 20, it doesn't say an age, but guys in her twenties come over to Eva's apartment and they say that they want to know who owns that Honda Accord out there because it's a, it's a nice car. And she says, it's the lady that lives below. And they say, okay, well, we want to, we want to rob her car and we want you to be the lookout. We want to steal her car. So we'll be back tomorrow night to come and, and steal this car because we need the keys because it's not worth as much if we hotwire it. The next night they don't show up. And then the next morning at nine in the morning, we know that Jennifer got a page because she, she was staying at Eva's apartment because she was having some, some issues with her mom and she had kind of run away for a couple nights. That's why she was staying there. But she was getting a page from a family friend who was trying to convince her to go back home. So she gets up in the, she gets up at 845, leaves, goes to the front of the complex to a friend's house who had a phone to call this guy. And she says she does that, which that part we know happened. And then on her way back, there's these two guys at nine in the morning now who were there on Sunday, two days before, and asked her, is this woman home now? She says, yes, she's home. And they said, let's do this. So she goes and they stand by the patio and she says, she knocks on the door and says, hey, it's Jennifer from upstairs. And when she answers, she says, she's home. And then the three of them, her and these two guys jump over the fence, go into the apartment. And one of the guys is beating the shit out of, uh, out of Catalina by the door while she runs around looking for the car keys finds purses, finds the car keys, never mentions the wallet, but says she finally finds the keys. And then she opens a drawer and points out a knife. I mean, there's a bunch of crazy shit, but just the general scenario here. And the the second guy grabs a, a butcher knife out of the drawer, hands it to the guy that's beating her up. That guy then stabs Catalina to death. And then they all go jump out of the jump out of the patio. And then she, and then at that point, she kind of works her way into the crowd with Eva and everybody else as the managers get there. So two major problems with that. One, very obviously, is there was no butcher knife used in this crime, right? And two, someone killed that woman and took the car keys 
but did not take the car. If that, again, when I was doing the profile, you know, if the actual goal was the robbery, the burglary and the robbery, then killing someone means that they really, really wanted to commit the robbery. Right. And they never took the thing that they were going to rob from her. Makes no sense. They killed somebody. They murdered somebody for that. However, if the actual end result of the crime that they intended was kill her, they accomplished that, and then they took off. They staged it to look like something else. And that is typically only done when there's a known relationship between the victim and the offender, and any cop would go right from that victim and that crime scene to the offender. So they have to make it look like something else. There's so much more to that, too. You know, the the way she describes the pre-planning of stealing the car was these are very experienced car thieves who really want that Honda Accord, specifically that Honda Accord. And in the, the night that they're planning it, they don't, she's home then the car's there. They don't do it that night, but they plan to do it another night. And then they end up coming in the middle of broad daylight to do it. And th- what they need for this plan is for someone to knock on the door to make sure she's home when the car's parked right there and they know she's home. And also to announce to the victim exactly who she is and where she lives. But you know, it's, it's an asinine thought that any of it went down like that. And there's, and there's tons of, there's, there's tons of leakage in there from, you know, information the detectives knew you can, you can see. So the large butcher knife, my theory is and actually, he, it's not a theory. He said it on the stand that the, the lead detective made the same mistake you did at first glance. He only looked at the body and saw those huge gashes on the chest. So that that's information he has. And then in her statement, lo and behold, we pulled out a very specifically says it was a large butcher knife to go do the stabbing. That information probably came from the detective. Right. Well, I mean, how suggestible is this 15 year old Jennifer? It's hard to say she, so she's, she had, she grew up in East Texas, very rural her whole life. She grew up as a Jehovah's witness with a single mom, always lived kind of a country life in the church most of her life and and lived in very rural areas experienced a whole bunch of tragedy over the year right before this her older brother one of her older brothers was shot and killed and was murdered like a year and a half before this and a year after that her other older brother died of cancer and that's actually how they ended up being in Houston was her mom actually worked for the Texas prison system and there was a children's hospital in in Houston, so she transferred from Tennessee Colony to Houston to be closer to the children's hospital, and then he ended up dying. And then she gets into this. The, the way she described it to me was, she says, Houston took me fast. You know, she she was there was all these people and all this stuff going on, and 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 she was just trying to be grown, and in you know, and then you know, her mom was still, even though they weren't in the church anymore, you can't have boyfriends, you have to go to school. Because of all the stuff with her brothers and missing school, she got held back a grade. So she's 15 years old in the eighth grade still, and she hated it and stopped going to school. Prior to this, she was always a very good student and no problems. But in the last couple months right leading up to this, 
she was c- kind of rebelling against against her mom's rules. But the the shift her mom worked, she wasn't around much anyway, and so she ends up falling in with Eva and these these people that are involved in more adult activities. And it, and Eva even says that she told her that she was eighteen. Like now, my impression of her is that she's trying to she's trying to she's trying to be grown. Right, but this confession, she's also trying to to please these cops and. It's an absolutely absurd scenario. People don't murder someone and then leave the fucking goal right there. I mean, why wouldn't they? They had the car keys. Why wouldn't they just jump in the car and take off? Right. You don't murder someone to get a car, first of all. That's a high-risk set of behaviors. Sophisticated car thieves do not do that. And so she's already set up a dichotomy in her own statement that I think completely undermines that as a confession. So I would definitely look at that. Bob, I have to go. I'm supposed to be at my other place in six minutes. So that's it's about five minutes away. So All right. Thanks, Jim. I really, really appreciate uh, all the work you put in this. I know you're super busy. I hope you enjoy your new home. Thank you. I hope you can come and visit sometime soon. One of these days, the world will be open again. When we're shooting our next uh, our next show. Sounds great. Take care, Jim. All right, bye-bye. We have a lot to talk about. But unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a week to hear more. On the day this episode airs, Mike and I will be backpacking in a remote area of Montana and we'll have no cell service for the next week. So the follow-up for this episode will drop in 12 days on May 28th. In the meantime, I'm sure the fan page on Facebook will be full of discussion. I can't wait to catch up when we return. Till then, see you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. 
And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com.